0: Mom, I had two children, um, at that time I only had my youngest one, Bobby, and mama was the biggest cocaine drunk on the east side of Flint, trying to do the best I could, went from one abusive relationship, well, 16 year marriage, 15 years I was beat every day, I was, came to Flint to start my life over again, and I got into another abusive situation that turned me on to cocaine and alcohol. And. It was just, it was tough because every money I made I went on drugs or drinking or whatever I could do to make myself numb because that's what I wanted. Good going to cry. Well, a friend of mine asked me to come to a Convoy of Hope, asked me to come and bring Bobby, he's my 12 year old now, to come and have a good time and get some free food. It's like, free food, cool. And then Bobby could have something to do because I still tried to be a good mom. So we went and I just went for the food. I had people trying to pull me over this way and pull me over that way. And I didn't want to have nothing to do with it because it's like, God don't love me. How can he love me and let me go through something like this What I was going through. And then a Pastor Gene Warren asked me to come from Church on the Rock, asked me to come to church one day asked me if I knew God, knew Christ, knew Jesus, that he loved me. Now, nobody loved me. I didn't even love me. So I just continued. I walked away. I continued walking through. Got to the par- prayer areas. I go, oh God, here we go. More Bible thumping. And the Church on the Rock ladies were there giving the groceries away. And somewhere around there, pastor must have talked to them or something and said that to get her, to get her, and I saw love from women that I've never seen before. They just wrapped their arms of love around me, wanted to hold me. About two weeks later, about two months later, I wanted more of that love. I wanted to feel that all the time, because it was something I'd never felt. So I ended up going to the Church on the Rock, and I talked to the young lady there, Sharon. And it was, it was a Tuesday afternoon. I went there. I had been crying for two months. My heart was bleeding, crying. Because I knew I had to do something different. She said, well, you want to invite Jesus into your life? It's like, yeah. And because of Convoy of Hope, that one day me coming there, the change in my life was just so dramatic. It's, I'm a totally different person now.
1: Totally different person. Wow. Well, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. How is everybody doing this this afternoon? It's good to be back home. Uh, my wife and I, Lisa, we went on a trip for a couple of days. Uh, she was celebrating a birthday, and uh, so we, we took a couple of days, and then I went to a conference. I went to a church planters conference, and I tell you what, life-changing. I was so so great. It's so wonderful when you can go somewhere. Actually, I was sitting in the balcony. There was 7,000, 5, 7,000 people, and and, um, and we just began to worship the Lord, and, and it was so cool. I said, God, I don't have to lead anything. I don't have to be in charge of anything. All I need is me and you, Daddy. Hallelujah. And it was just so good being able to soak in the worship and uh, be, be able to really focus on God, and, and uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. Well, we've been talking about a reawakening, a reawakening. And it started on Easter when we talked about a reawakening of hope and how uh, we have seen, listen to me, in the last three, four weeks, we have seen over, well over 125 people come to give their lives to Christ or get right with the Lord. Somebody say amen. That's just awesome, man. Last service. You know, the 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 altar was full of people, and uh, one of the cool things: three, four young ladies came and gave their lives to the Lord, and um, and I, I just love when young people give their lives to the Lord. Such potential, amen. Such potential, and um, so we've been talking about an awakening of hope, an awakening of love. Pastor Henry obviously always does an awesome job. And last week he talked about a love awakening. And the week before that we talked about a faith awakening. Now listen to me. I'm praying today, this afternoon, that you will experience a compassion awakening. I'm praying that somehow, some way, in your heart God will speak to you about compassion and that something will be awakened in your spirit so that you will never ever be the same again. That you will make a commitment to being a person of compassion. Come on, pray with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus I pray you would awaken our hearts to compassion, Father. I ask, oh God, that you would do a work in this place in the name of Jesus. I pray, and everyone said, she's 24 years old. The year is 1964. She's got her whole life ahead of her. On one night, she just decided that she was going to stay out a little later. She gets home at 3.30 a.m. She gets out of her car, and as she's walking just a hundred feet to her apartment building, someone jumps out and stabs her. She screams out, I'm stabbed! Somebody help me! Please, somebody help me! And the lights go on in her apartment building. The people look out the window, they shut the lights, and they go back to sleep. The man is scared for a moment because he thinks somebody's going to come, but No one comes. And so he comes back and stabs her a second time. She screams out, please somebody help me. I'm dying. Please somebody. The lights go on again. A man looks out his window and he says, leave that girl alone. Shuts his light and goes back to bed. She stumbles as she tries a little bit more to get to the front of her doorstep. She falls at the front of her doorstep. This lunatic sees that no one is coming to help her. He goes and rips her clothes off and rapes her and stabs her a third time. No one called the police until it was too late. There were 38 witnesses. Not one, not 10, not 20, but 38 witnesses that witnessed this horrific scene her name is Kitty Genovese as a result of this there's a book that's written called the bystander syndrome in which people actually would walk by actually close their lights in fear not wanting to get involved this week as I was preparing for this sermon I went on YouTube And I began to research a little bit about the bystander syndrome. And I watched the video in horror. As I even began to question in my own self, what would I do if I was confronted with that divine opportunity to do something to help someone else? And as I watched this video it was a video of an actor someone who was pretending to be ill someone who was pretending to be injured and he was laying on the side of this office building and he was crying please somebody help me and one by one those people passed him by one by one they turned their head and they looked the other way and I thought to myself there's probably in that massive crowd of people that walked by that man there was probably someone who was a churchgoer. there was somebody who went to church every single Sunday in their life somebody who was a Sunday school teacher somebody who was involved in a small group and yet they walked by that man who was pretending to be ill or injured well he had jeans on and sneakers on and everyone walked by him well now this time they put a suit on him and the same men that had suits on they ran over to him to help him and it showed me something that in this world there is a great injustice and in and 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 a great inequality when it comes to reaching out and helping people but you might say today what was wrong with those people why didn't they respond but I'm here to tell you today that the world is laughing at the church I'm gonna say it again The world is laughing at our churches. I'm going to tell you why. Because the world sees us as a group of people who gather together on Sunday morning. And we have our holy huddles. We get together and we talk about the love of God. And we hear preaching about the love of God. And we hear preaching about compassion. And we hear preaching about missions. And we hear preaching about loving God and loving our neighbors. And we go home and we pass by divine opportunities that hit us smack in the face every day. Of our life I want to tell you That I'm a very busy man That's the truth I'm really busy because I have three daughters Two teenagers A young adult Two female dogs A mother-in-law And a wife in one home I'm a very busy man And if I just stopped at that You would say to me He's a very busy man But on top of all of that, you know, I went to a church planters conference because God has laid it on my heart to help church planters, to help people plant other churches. And so we've got a number of churches on Long Island that have come out of our church. And so on a daily basis, I pray. And I'm always on a weekly basis available to these church planters so that I can mentor them and counsel with them and help their churches to grow and come alongside of them. And today, I'm not just a father planting churches, but I'm a grandfather today because two of those churches have now also planted their own churches. Come on, somebody. Say amen. I'm a grandfather, 49 years old, and I'm a grandfather. And so I'm busy. In fact, I was so excited after I came back from this church planters conference that I called up three church planters and I said, I want you to know that what I experienced this week, you need their experience. And I told them that I'm going to pay for their airfare. I'm going to pay for their conference fee. I'm going to pay for their hotel fee because I'm going to send them to this conference so that they can be refreshed and trained. And so I've got that on my plate as well. And then we've got a wonderful growing church. And we support 85 different missionaries and works around the world and at home. I'm a very busy person. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. But a couple of months ago, God came knocking on my door again. And he said, I've got another task for you. I said, God, my plate is full. And God said, no, I want you to do this. And so several months ago, I get a heart for Long Island like never before. And I pray for Long Island like I've never prayed for Long Island before and God said the same heart that you have for Valley Stream to reach out to the need of the people around you, to reach out to the needy, those who need a break in life, those who need a GED diploma, those who need ESL, those who need the house of hope, those that need celebrate recovery, those that need to know about the love of Jesus. I want you to spread the love, spread the compassion, not just in your church, but I want you to raise up a conglomerate of churches all around the island that'll join together, that'll come together and say, yes, we can show Long Island what it really means to be a Christian what it really means to love God and love your neighbor and so a couple of months ago we began to start working together to put on a day of dignity in which on one day we're going to feed and help seven to ten thousand people on one day we're going to invite them to come to Mitchell's field and we're going to cut their hair if they need a haircut we're going to give them three hundred dollars worth of food we're going to help them uh, just really understand that God loves them we're going to help them to try to find a job we're going to wash their feet we're going to give them new shoes come on somebody say amen we're going to give them an opportunity to see the love of God in action we're gonna let their kids play all day on the kids zone we're gonna give them a concert we're gonna let the young people sing we're gonna do some rapping we're gonna do some great things for people so that they can get into the party atmosphere and see that Christians have a good time and then at the end we're gonna give them the love of Jesus we're gonna preach the gospel to them and many are gonna come into the kingdom on that day come on somebody say amen hallelujah but we can't do it by ourselves and so God has told me to network with churches and so far we have 45 churches that have joined together with this church leading the way saying you know what we want to change the spiritual atmosphere of Long Island we want to change the compassion barometer for Long Island we want to bring it up to another lodge we want to show people what it really means to love God and love their neighbor as thyself because there's too many people that are walking by They're closing their eyes, and there's too much need all around us, and we can do it one person at a time. I want to read you a story in the Bible that I think really is apropos for today and perhaps maybe a vivid illustration of what I'm talking about. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and, and this is a story of a Kitty Genovese This is a story of a person who needed someone to stop. This is a story about someone who was being tested to see whether or not that Christianity was really true and real. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's a lawyer. Now, this is not a lawyer like we think of a lawyer today a lawyer that perhaps perhaps maybe helps us with a lawsuit this is not that kind of a lawyer this was a young lawyer and what he did was study the law of the Old Testament he studied the laws of the Bible and he studied about the interpretation of those laws you see back then we had what was called the Talmud the Pentateuch were the five first books of the Bible and the Talmud was taking those books of the Bible and it was writing understanding, it was writing interpretations of what the law said. Why did God give us the law? What was the law for? And unfortunately, so often the people of Israel, they would find the law, the pure law of God. And what they would do is they'd add a law to that law and another law to that law and so on and so on. They would actually put a fence around that law to protect the law. So they'd have one law, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And they'd say, this is what God meant by it. And they'd set up another law and another law and another law. That's why Jesus said that by searching the scriptures and by putting all these laws into place, you're actually keeping people from the kingdom of God. And this lawyer, he didn't want to know about eternal life. He didn't want to know about how to get to heaven. He didn't really want to know about pleasing God and what did God really want for his life. What this young lawyer wanted to do is he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to see if Jesus really knew what he was saying. He was a wise guy. That's what he was. He was a wise guy. He was trying to catch Jesus in a half-truth. He was trying to prove that this Jesus wasn't who he really said he was. He was trying to show off and show up Jesus. But, you know, i got to tell you something. The truth is, if Jesus showed up in our church, some of us wouldn't like him. The truth is, if Jesus showed up in most churches, they'd kick him out of the church. Why? Because Jesus didn't play games. Jesus cut to the chase. Jesus went to the heart of the law. Jesus always told the truth. Jesus always offended people. He offended the Pharisees. He offended the lawyers of that day. Why? Because he was going to cut to the chase. And notice what Jesus says. He gets right down to the basic of what God really meant. Notice what he says. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, what's your interpretation of this wise guy? You know, what's your interpretation of this law? And what does the lawyer say? He's got the right answer with the wrong attitude. I said he's got the right answer with the wrong attitude. He's religious. He comes to church. He knows the law of God. He knows the Ten Commandments, but his heart is far from God. And notice what he says. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it, wise guy. Now go and do what you just told me was God's heart. Go and do it. That's what Jesus said. And notice the wise guy's not through yet. Come with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. He's not stopping this wise guy. He's not getting the picture. He's not understanding that Jesus is trying to show him the right way. That the the attitude of your heart is going to determine the altitude of your compassion in your life. And so the Bible says he wants to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, and who by chance is my neighbor? Why did he say that? Because this Jewish lawyer lived in a really nice Jewish neighborhood no there's nothing wrong with Jewish neighborhoods I happen to live in one I live in Oceanside I'm the token gentile of the block and the truth is I'm so glad God put me there because I am sharing the love of God with my neighbors with my Jewish neighbors hallelujah I am praying that the God of Israel will show them that he's the Messiah come on somebody But he lived in this nice, suburban, middle-class Jewish neighborhood. And he was feeling good about himself. You know why he was feeling good about himself? Because he was nice to his other Jewish neighbor. They'd come and have barbecues together. They'd have matzah fazul together. They were having a good time together. And he was nice. He'd shovel his snow at times. He was good to his Jewish neighbor. Oh, after all, all, the truth is that the Jews did stay together. They stuck together. In fact, they believed that that's what God told them to do. Stick together. Don't let anybody else in. God never said that. But that's what they believed. They believed that they would be a community unto themselves. And he was doing a really good job when it came to loving his Jewish neighbor. But here comes Jesus with a story. He's always got a story, doesn't he? He said, let me tell you a story. Now, some people call this a parable. I don't think Jesus was calling this a parable. This was a, 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 this was a story, a news break story on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. Because Jesus said there was a certain man, come, follow me, there was a certain man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was traveling from Jerusalem all the way to Jericho. Now, now there's a problem with this. Here's the problem. The problem is he's going from a nice neighborhood through a really bad neighborhood. You know what I'm talking about. It's those neighborhoods that you drive through and you pray to God that you've got enough gas and you're not going to run out of gas. You pray that you're not going to get a flat tire. You roll up the windows. You lock the door and you put the air conditioner on and you pray to God that your car doesn't break down. You know what I'm talking about. You've been in those neighborhoods. And the Bible says a certain man. Now, Jesus calls him a certain man, but he's a Jew. He's one of his buddies, the lawyer's buddies. He says, one of your buddies, he was traveling in the bad part of town. In fact, this part of town was so bad that they actually called the road from Jerusalem to Jericho the bloody way because there were a lot of gunshots. There were a lot of kids that were shot in the crossfire. There were a lot of people that were that were killed. There were a lot of people that were stripped naked and left on the side of the road, taken. Everything that they had. And the Bible says this certain Jew, your neighbor, was traveling down this road. He didn't want to go down that road, but that was the only way he could get back to his nice suburban house. He had to go through that road. We've got to travel sometimes through some difficult times, difficult places in our life. We've got to go through some difficult neighborhoods to get to the other side of the Verrazano Bridge. And the Bible says that while he was traveling on the treacherous, very steep, very dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho, was very known for being a very dangerous place because, because thieves and hoodlums could, could hide out and catch someone unaware and jump them and mug them and take what they had. And the Bible says while he was traveling, he was surprised. And they jumped on him. And look what it says here. And it said. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes. Wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. Look at me. Listen to me. Life has a way of stripping people of their dignity. Of stripping people of their hope. Of stripping people of love in their heart. Of stripping people of faith. Life has a way of stripping people of self-confidence and put on top of that people themselves have a way of rejecting people and hurting people and bruising people and wounding people and I want you to know there's a whole lot of those people walking around all around this they're bleeding they're desperate on the inside they're dying on the inside they're living on the outside it looks like everything's okay on the outside but in the inside they're dying and they're crying out and they're saying I've been stabbed by life I've been wounded by life and i need somebody to open their life and come downstairs and touch me and help me but so often the church closes its lights and doesn't want to get involved this man was left half dead oh but there's hope there's hope in the story look what happens the bible says that now by chance a certain priest he didn't name names A certain Jewish priest was traveling down the same road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Notice what it says. It says, the priest was traveling and came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wow. This is a priest. This is a Jewish priest. Now, Now, there's a lot of theologians that have actually given this guy a pass I'll tell you why because they have said well a priest was not allowed to go near a dead body and go into the temple and do his temple duties because he would have been defiled here's the problem with that he wasn't going from Jericho to Jerusalem he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho he had already been in the temple he had already washed his hands he had already gone into the holy place He'd already encountered a living God. He'd already heard the living God speak to him and tell him, you're responsible to teach the people how to love me and how to love their neighbors. You're responsible to teach people how to reach out to the desperate, the hungry, and the hurting. Didn't God say that in Isaiah chapter 58? He said true religion is that we would take care of the the homeless and the poor and the needy. He says you fast and you pray. You have your religious observances and yet you don't even see the opportunities that are by every single day of your life. There is someone that you're passing by. There's a divine opportunity to show the compassion and the love of God to your neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Anyone I can touch with the love of God. Anyone I can minister to and help is my neighbor. Doesn't matter if they live next door or around the world. That's the one thing about this global world that we live in today. That we can help people cross the world. And Jesus says, my neighbor is anyone that I can minister to and show the love of God in a tangible way. This priest, he was a very religious man. Let me tell you something. Look at me. This is going to be a shocking statement. You could put it on Facebook and give me the credit. Let me tell you, religion can be one of the greatest enemies of compassion. I'm going to say it again. Religion can be one of the greatest enemies of compassion. Because we can get so busy being religious that we miss the divine opportunities that God puts in front of us every day. We come to church. We have our holy huddles. We talk about how God is love and how we love God and how we love each other and we we worship the Lord and, and the worship is glorious and it's powerful. We worship on Sunday. On Monday, we go to small group. On Tuesday, we go to prayer meeting. On Wednesday, we go to Bible study. On Thursday, we hang out with our Christian buddies. On Friday, we come back. The prayer meeting on Saturday, we spend some time with our family, and then we do it all over again, and we miss the opportunity to love our neighbor as ourselves because we've become too religious. We've become so religious. We've become so heavenly-minded. We're no earthly good. Because all we're thinking about is religion, and James says true religion. The apostle James says true religion is to make sure That when you see a widow and she's in real need, that you take care of her needs. When you see an orphan and he needs food, you feed him. He said, what good is it if you say that you have faith and you have religion? But when you see somebody that needs food or clothing, you say, be warm, be fed, be blessed. And you go your way without meeting their need. He said, true religion is action. He says, you have faith, show me your faith through the things that you do on a practical basis when it comes to minister to the poor and the needy all around you. Oh, but there's still hope. There's hope. A Levi's on his way. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. Well, at least he didn't start out on the other side. At least he came over. I can see this Levite who was in charge of leading people in worship. The priest was in charge of representing the people to God and God to the people. And the Levite was there to be responsible to help people, encourage people to worship the living God. He was the choir director in the church. He sees the man bleeding. And dying half dead. And he hears the man, please help me, somebody. Please help me. And he comes and he looks at the man and he walks away. Oh, the church is so good at looking at the need. We come to church, we watch the videos of the poor all around us and you know the truth is we see so much poverty around us so much need we become overwhelmed by the need because we don't realize that God isn't telling you and I to save the world he's telling us to help the person next door he's telling us to do the part that we can do to help one person I'm reminded of that story you've heard me say it let me say it again please forgive me for being repetitive but the story of the the old man that was on the seashore and there were all these sea, these, these starfish that, that came to, uh, the, to, to, onto, the, onto the shore. And there was just this epidemic of s- starfish that were actually being washed up on the shore. And this old man, he was picking up each and every starfish that he could find. And there were hundreds, thousands of starfish on the seashore. But he'd take one, he'd wipe it a little bit. He'd say a prayer and he'd throw it in the water. Take another one, wipe it off and throw it in the water. Take another one. And there were so many. I mean, there were hundreds, thousands of them. And this one young wise guy came over to the old man and he said, Old man, you're a fool. Can't you see that there are hundreds of thousands of starfish? You're never going to be able to throw all of them in the sea. You're never going to be able to help them all. And he picked up the starfish and he said, But I can help this one and threw it back in the water. See, our neighbor is a person that we can help, that we have the divine opportunity to help in our life. Levite, he saw the need and he turned away. Friends, we live in a very calloused world. We live in a world that has seen all the pictures. We've heard all the stories, and yet we turn away because we want to preserve our own life. Listen to me. You can write this down. Here's another radical statement. Self-preservation is the second worst enemy of compassion. Let me tell you something. There will be more religious people in hell than atheists. Because Jesus said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. When did I see you hungry? When did I see you naked? Jesus said, the true understanding of religion, the true understanding of worship and loving God is loving God with all your heart and translating it into helping other people. Let me tell you something, self-preservation is the greatest, one of the greatest enemies of compassion. But if I do this, how is this going to affect my family? If I write this check out, how is it going to affect my finances? If I go over and I linger too long, I might get mugged myself. And How many of us, because of fear? because we're afraid of rejection, because we're afraid that we're going to lose something, that we're going to have to sacrifice something. We don't reach out and touch somebody in need. Oh, but there's still hope. The Levite goes his other way because he's got got to make sure that the choir has what they need. He's got to make sure that the song list is good for the service on Sunday morning. But there's someone else. Jesus says, and then a Samaritan man. Oh, that's important. I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Jews did not associate, a pure Jew did not associate with a Samaritan. Why? Because a Samaritan was a half-breed. A Samaritan was one that intermarried with a Jew, a pagan with a Jew, a Gentile with a Jew. They were considered outcasts. They were on the other side of the tracks. They were in those tough cities. And this man was despised by the Jewish lawyer. And Jesus says, there was a certain Samaritan who was traveling down the bloody walk. I don't know. Maybe he was a pimp. Maybe he was a drug dealer. Maybe he was a nice guy. But he was just on the wrong side of the tracks. He was a Samaritan. He was an outcast. He was an untouchable just like the woman at the well in which Jesus passes right through Samaria he could have gone another way but Jesus walks through that road to meet that woman and speak into her life he wasn't supposed to speak to her for two reasons she was a woman and she was a Samaritan and Jews do not speak to Samaritans and in this story this Samaritan, this outcast I don't know, maybe he had a hoodie on he was a hood-lum but the Bible says that as he passes by listen to me, look at me he's moved with compassion he's moved with compassion the Greek word for compassion it's a compound word two words put together compassion the come part of it means that we come alongside of in the Greek it means to actually come alongside of and the passion part is translated into sympathy or empathy feeling what another person feels understanding what another person has gone through feeling the pain of another person He was moved with compassion. Why? Because maybe at one time he was on that side of the road. Maybe at one time he was bleeding and dying. Maybe one time he was in a place where he was desperate and he needed somebody to reach out to him and somebody reached out to him and he understood the feeling, the hollowness, the emptiness in his soul. Whatever it was, he was able to associate with that man. He was able to say, I feel the pain of that man. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed blind Bartimaeus. He was moved with compassion and he reached out his hand and he blessed the people. He was moved with compassion because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and he ministered to them. He was moved. He came alongside of. He came down from heaven and he came alongside of us because he could feel the pain. As the word of the Lord says, we have a high priest that's been touched with the feelings of our pain, our weaknesses our sin even though he was sinless he was sinless in his heart and in his life yet he came down and he associated with us who are sinners he was tempted in every way like us yet he did not sin therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy because the nail scarred hands of Jesus is reaching down and touching us and ministering to us the Bible says he was moved with compassion Now check out what he does. Even in risking his own life, he comes to the man. He kneels down. He takes some oil out of his pouch and he begins to pour oil on this man. And he begins to wipe the blood off of his body. He feels him breathing. There's still a chance. There's still time. Oh, if Kitty would have had somebody who would have said, there's still time. There would have been a different story. We would have been talking about a grandmother who has grandchildren today. There was still time. He was bleeding, but there was still time for this man to be rescued. What does the good Samaritan do? He picks him up and he places him on his donkey. You know what that tells me? That tells me that this good Samaritan, he had to walk. Oh, let me tell you something. If I was going through that neighborhood, I wouldn't be walking. If I was going through that neighborhood, I'd be on my donkey going as fast. I'd be kicking that donkey. Come on. Come on. Don't fail me now. Don't get a flat tire now. But the Bible says he put him on his donkey. And he walked him to the inn. All the way through the bloody way. And when he got to the inn, and let me tell you, this is what freaked my mind. When I read this, I said, God, man, God, you're so good. You love me so much, Jesus. The Bible says that he took that man, he placed him on a bed, and he went to the innkeeper, and he said, I cleaned him up. Now, here's some money. He's going to be staying a while because I've got to go on a journey. And he said, let me tell you, whatever he uses up, whatever he spends, Put it on my account. Put it on my account. And I can tell you something. That's exactly what Jesus did for me. I owed a debt that I could not pay. He paid the debt that I could never, ever, ever pay myself. Jesus came from heaven. And he found me bleeding on the side of the road. And I was crying out, God save me. Have mercy on me. I need eternal life. And he picked me up, and he washed me off. And he poured the oil of the Holy Spirit into my heart and into my life. And he took me to a good place, a safe place, where I can know and grow in the power and the presence of God. And he said to the innkeeper, whatever else he owes, put it on my account. And there was a day... When Jesus stretched out his hands, he climbed on that cross himself, and he stretched out his hands. And he looked up to his Father, and he said, Father, I paid it in full, and whatever else they owe, put it on my account. And let me tell you, if we want to be like Jesus, Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, make me like you? Then we're going to have to risk a little bit and say, God, you paid it all. But God, there's somebody that's suffering. Put it on my account. I'm willing to take a chance. How did this guy know? How did this guy know that when this guy started to get better and he was still on a journey, this guy's going to go and say, you know what? Put a couple of drinks on my account. How did did this guy know, this good Samaritan, this guy's not going to stay there and just kind of bum off of him? Just take advantage of him. He said, listen, I'm going on a journey. He said, and whatever he owes, put it on my account. Self-preservation is always the enemy of compassion. We're afraid to reach out. God's called us to reach out, to be like Jesus. Now, let me tell you a couple of months ago God spoke to my heart and said we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to reach out to our community and we're going to take a chance. And we're going to raise up churches and we're going to partner and collaborate with churches and we're going to love people the way that God wants us to love people. You see, God, listen, God has been doing something in my heart. I said, God, I don't want to be just a religious pastor who goes through the motions. God, change my heart, because I'm going to be honest with you. My heart gets calloused at times. I see the need, but I don't want to touch it anymore. I'm tired, God. I'm too busy, God. I've been hurt, God. I tried to help somebody. I tried to get involved in a church. I tried to, by faith, help the pastor of another, whatever it may be. And I got hurt by it. And now I've got to protect my heart. Whatever it might be in your life, I know it, my heart. Sometimes I just get too busy to, to stop. But you see, God has showed me that if I'm going to be like God, then I've got to stop. When God gives me a divine opportunity to be like Him, I've got to stop the busyness. See, I have a really large corridor in this church. I mean, it is a very long hallway. My office is down the road. It's on Rockaway Avenue. And when I have to go from my workplace where I prepare my sermons to the place where I deliver my sermon, I have to walk the bloody way. It's called Rockaway Avenue. And I can pretend like I'm spiritual and I'm going to preach to the people of Bethlehem, assembly of God. But I've got to be willing to stop. I've got to be willing to stop at the barber shop the hairdresser's shop. I've got to be willing to stop at the bakery. I've got to be willing to stop at the tailor. I've got to be willing to stop at that dress shop. And I've got to be willing to go into that place and say, I know that on the outside, you may look like you've got it all together, but you need Jesus. And I've got to be willing to stop and take that divine moment to build a relationship with these people on the bloody way so that I can help them to come to Christ. Let me tell you a cool story. I don't know if he's here this morning, but my friend who owns a a hairdressing shop down the road, the bloody way, I've been visiting with him for the last couple of years. God speaks to my go in there and talk to him about the New York Yankees. Talk to him about the Jets. Just get to know the young man because I want to work in his life. Take your time. Don't be pushy. Don't ram it down his throat. Just love him the way that I would love him. And so I've been getting to know him. I'm not going to tell you his name, but I've been getting to know him. Going there often just to say hello. And so I told him, I said, hey, listen, we're having an Easter service. Would you like to come? So four weeks ago, he came to the Easter service. He brought his girlfriend with him. They sat right there on the side. When I gave the altar call, they came forward and gave their lives to Christ. Hallelujah. And I think to myself... I've got to learn, God, I've got to learn there are people all around, there are opportunities, divine opportunities and important, important opportunities that are much more important than writing out a sermon. It's an opportunity to be like God. It's an opportunity to meet the need of somebody who's bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. Well, well I went back into his, his shop the next week and I said, how are you doing? And, and, and I wasn't going to talk about church. I, I wasn't going to force him. I wasn't going to say, I saw you in church. I know you came forward. Man, I'm really glad. Now you got to get into Bible study, get into the small group, and you got to get into the choir, and you got to get all of <laughs> it. No, oh, no, 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 no. I just walked in. I said, how's it going? And how about those Yankees? He said, I'll see you in church next week. I'm going to be there, man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, God's been teaching me it's more important to love people than it is to pretend to be religious because that's the heart of God and let me, let me share with you that we've got an opportunity that we are going to start a movement on Long Island that when, when June 9th comes and there are 7 to 10,000 people there and there are 45 to 50 churches gathering together and Channel 12 News, Channel 7 News comes and they stick a microphone in one of the pastor's faces and say why do you do this the pastor is going to say because this my friend is true Christianity This, my friend, is truly the love of God in demonstration. You want to see Jesus? This is Jesus. You want to see religion? This is religion. You want to see God at his finest hour? This is God at his finest hour. You want to see God at work? Go in the tent where they're washing people's feet and giving them free shoes. Go in the tent where they're giving food out. Go in the tent where they're cutting hair. Go in the tent where they're helping people find the job. Go in the tent where they're leading people to know Christ as their Savior. That's God. That's the church's finest hour. Come on, somebody say amen. (laughs) Glory to God. Now stay with me for a moment as we close. Wow, we're early. Stay with me for a moment as we close. Tommy, you good? My buddy Tommy. Once a year, once a year, we take a love offering for the poor around the world. It's called One Day to Feed the World. And you've been watching the videos for the last several weeks, getting you ready, getting you prepared to take an offering for the world. This is, this is for the poor. This is for the poor of this world. And this is what we challenge you to do. We challenge everyone, listen to me, before you, you pull out your money, listen carefully what I'm saying to you. We challenge people to give one day pay. One days worth of pay 365 days we challenge people to take one of those days where you get paid i know some of you are like pastor steve well i don't work 365 days we challenge you to take that one day pay and give it to the world give it to the poor and the needy now here's the cool thing we work with an organization called convoy of hope and they're in 192 countries around the world feeding needs of people around the world, but they said to me, Pastor Steve, every dime that comes in from the one day to feed the world in Long Island, we're going to put it back into Long Island. You know, there are thousands, hundreds and thousands of people on Long Island that live below the poverty line. You say, Pastor Steve, why don't you just take care of Valley Stream? No. See, I purposely believe that God told me to go to Hempstead, one of the most the poorest neighborhoods in all of Nassau County and minister to people that can't pay me back, minister to people that won't even come to my church, but just do it sacrificially unto the Lord. So I'm going to challenge every one of you, you might be a young person, you might have a paper route, you may work as a waiter, a busboy, whatever it is, I'm going to challenge you to take one day of your pay. Make a check out the Bethlehem Assembly of God and I promise you every penny of this is going to the outreach. How much do we have to spend on this outreach? $82,000. Seventy, listen to me, look at me, 70 to 100,000 pounds of food. You do the math, 70 to 100,000 pounds of food, $300 worth of food. is going to every needy family that comes. We have to rent all of the children's stuff. We've got a a, a partner with Nassau County, and they're helping us to rent this big facility that's going to cost us big bucks. And here's what I said. I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm busy. We've got a whole lot going on, and financially we're stretched to the max. But God, you said to do it. You're going to take care of it. So we've been going to these churches, and we've been asking these churches to partner with us, and it's been hard. Let me tell you something. A lot of churches, I love what they say. We love what you're doing, Pastor Steve. We're going to get behind you and maybe we'll give you some money to do it. I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm just being honest. So we've got $82,000 budget and we've got $25,000 we've raised so far. Here's where you come in. Here's what I need from you. I need you to do two things. Stop right now. Stop. Stop. Stop walking. They thought I said stop playing. Stop walking by. Stop being religious. Stop thinking about self-preservation. And I want you right now to do two things. Number one, I want you to give one day pay. I want you to take out your checkbooks or your cash and say, I'm going to give this to the poor. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to take out this green flyer. If you need an envelope or flyer, raise your hand right now. Somebody's going to come by and give it to you right now. Raise your hand quickly, quickly. I won't keep you longer than I, than I need to. I promise you. I promise you. Just raise your hand right now. If you need one, keep your hand up high, high. Make sure you get everyone. Make sure you get Daniel in the back because he's really rich. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Anybody else, you need one. I'm going to ask you to do two things right now. Look at me. Please pay attention. Look at me. The second thing I need you to do is I need you to take out this green flyer. This green flyer has the information about what we need. We need, look at me, we need hairdressers. Now some of you, you might have a hairdressing license and you haven't worked in a while, but you have a license, we need you. You say, I haven't cut hair in a long time. Don't worry, we're gonna give you a bowl. We'll just put the hell, (laughs) shave around the bowl. It's cool, man. You know, we're having a real hard time getting hairdressers. You know why? Because hairdressers tell us that Saturday is the best day of all. That's their money day. You know what I'm going to say to hairdressers? Then take your best day and give it to God. Come on, somebody. Take your best day and trust God and give it to God. But we need people to help with the Children's Center. We need people to hand out food we need people listen to me how daring I'm, I'm gonna ask you to be we need people to wash people's feet and give out shoes we need people to love people how many of you in this room you, you could stop for a day and love people seven to ten thousand we need a thousand volunteers to do this now, you might have already signed this piece of paper before I'm gonna ask you to do it again one more time that's it why because we want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to do this so we're gonna compare these these sheets with what you've already signed up to make sure you've got it. Maybe you've changed your mind. Maybe you said, you know, I want to work in this area or that area, whatever. We're not coming in again and ask you again. This is the last time we're going to ask you. We're going to put it in the bulletin. We might just quickly go buy it, but we're not going to do this again. But I'm going to ask you to take this out. I'm going to ask you to fill it out. And I'm going to ask you to take this envelope. Don't leave me hanging. And I'm going to ask you to put it right here, right here in this grocery basket. So that we can stop for a moment and say, we're going to do this together. Now, with your head bowed, your eyes closed right now, quickly. Quickly, you're here today. and You say, Pastor Steve, close your eyes for a moment. You're going to get a chance to fill that out. You're going to get a chance to, to fill it out in a moment. But let me tell you, there's somebody in this room right now. Listen to me. There's somebody in this room right now that you're bleeding and dying. And I'm going to stop the service. And I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to stop collecting money and I'm going to stop collecting volunteers and I'm going to stop for you right now because you don't know for sure you're not a hundred percent sure that if you died today you'd go to heaven and you need God to come into your life you need to be forgiven of your sins if that's you today you say pastor I'm not sure I'm really not sure that if I died today I'd go to heaven and I need to get right with God I want you to raise your hand right now real quick anybody in this place God bless you you raise your hand and say yes God bless you I see that hand Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. And I need need Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to clean me up. Anybody else in this place? God bless you. Anybody else? I saw that hand. Anybody else? All right, here's what I want you to do right now, quickly. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet, quickly. Come on, everybody, stand to your feet. Please. Here's how you do it. Okay, watch, 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 watch. Here's how you do it. I want you to do something with me. In a moment, I want you to ask the person to the right, to the left of you. I want you to stop, and I want you to hand, I want you to extend your hand out to somebody right now. We're going to be a good Samaritan. I want you to go to the person to the right or the left of you, and I want you to ask them the question, if you died today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? If they say, I'm not sure, I want you to extend your hand and say, you know what? I'll go with you. I'll go forward with you so that we can pray together. I'll walk that road with you today so that you can get right with God. And when that person says yes or no, I want you to respond right now. In a moment, look at me. In a moment, I want you to respond. Get out of your seat. I want to personally pray for you right now. I'm going to stop the service and I'm going to pray that God would touch your life. There's some workers that want to give you some information to get